Blog Talk Radio. Go ahead. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. 
Okay. Um, you know, I used to work in the uh, one of the clients we've had was in paper making, and the paper making companies were very very strict about forest management, and the, the you have to take some trees out and you pull out the undergrowth, you pull out the what the leaves, the the dead branches, the dead trees, because that's a perfect kindling, and. Um, these people who have said no, no, you must leave the forests and uh, let let them grow naturally. Well, you know, in nature, that's what happened to clear the forests. Uh, you have a under the um, trees, you have a huge amount of highly flammable material, and when a fire starts, it's going to go all the way through. So you know, right. And that's what's happening up there. They're they're literally going through, uh, you know, the entire country of Canada. And of course, um, you know, they we're so close to Canada. I mean, it's just over the lake in, in some states. And unfortunately, I know that in New York, New York City, they had them. And now I guess you're getting them too. Just another quick question about it. How long have you had these fires? I would say we've had them now about a month. And there are some oh, days wow. when, reasonably, wow. but there are other days when you cannot even be half a mile away. I mean, it, well, and you, but think about the people who have breathing issues I and mean, some of the older people. Um, I would assume a lot of, of a lot of people have have to deal with that. Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I've been an asthmatic since I was a kid. I. Um, I have a CPAP machine, and I uh, I take, um, al- what is it, albuterol to uh, relieve the breathing. And my wife has, has not let me go out to the dog for a couple of weeks now. Right. Simply because well, it's not yeah. healthy. It's not healthy. You're exactly right. Well, let's talk about uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was t- 247 years ago that uh, that document was publicly made available. It was actually yes. read. It was read uh, to the people in the colonies. I think in every one of the colonies they read it, if my history is right. And it was read, and Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness became uh, pretty much, I think, uh, an expression that most Americans learned in school. And I suppose that over the years, it's had different meanings for different people. Um, and of course, here recently, with all of the, you know, all of the people who've been trashing the country, including this recent, uh, you know, basketball player, this lady who plays for one of these professional basketball teams, you know, basically saying the country is trash. I don't know why people like that stay in the country, Frank. You know, I don't know why they just don't pack. Why don't they just pack up and go somewhere else? I mean, yeah. if it's I mean, it, it, it amazes me when, when they say stuff like that. But anyway, so tonight I'd like to discuss it with you as to what exactly, first of all, let's talk about maybe what they meant by life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, let's talk about that. And I think you're, you also have a little surprise for us tonight. If I if I remember correctly, you're, you've got something about the declaration that you're going to share tonight. Am I right? Am I putting you on the spot when I say that? We well, you're absolutely right. But it's not about the declaration, but it's about the kind of people who exemplified it. Oh, okay, great. Well, that's uh, I'm looking forward to that. We'll do that 
in in the second segment, uh, Frank. But That's life, great. liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let let's imagine that you and I were listening to that uh, declaration being read uh, 247 years ago today. We were out there in the park hearing somebody read it. And they say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What would that what what would that have meant uh, to a couple of guys like us in 1776, Frank? Well, I I think I can tell you because you know I do substitute teaching, and when I teach any class, I said uh, English. I do mostly English and history, which overlap incredibly well. And um, I always say, look, there are two things you have to remember. Number one, do not project the values, the language, the mores of today onto yesterday. Not fair to you. It's not fair to the people who lived then. And secondly, take everything in context. What was going on at the time this was done? Now, the bottom line is that the idea of happiness did not in those days mean good times. It didn't mean, you know, go off and do what you want, have a great time, enjoy your hobbies, go to the nightclub, have a drink. No, the concept of happiness, as, as it's meant in the Declaration, was the ability to be a dutiful citizen, to find the satisfaction that you would in being a member of the community, God-fearing, uh, helpful, charitable, compassionate individual who would derive satisfaction from a life well lived. That's what it meant. It didn't mean go off and have, you know, believe in only your own pleasures and have a great time. Because frankly, in those, there weren't a heck of a lot of that. Right. Well, there, I mean, those people back then, I mean, again, going back to my example, you and I uh, back then, going to hear the the reading of the declaration. Uh, I mean, we didn't have a lot of time. We probably had to get back to the farm because we had a lot to do. Uh, yeah. And and I think surviving day to day was probably uh, a part of that happiness. Something else too that I don't think we appreciate today, uh, Frank. But I think people back then, life was was very rough in the sense that, for example, you would lose babies. I mean, people yep. today, uh, you know, infant mortality today is, is, is so rare. I mean, it's so rare that you hear of a woman who lost her baby or something like that because we have so much better medicine. But back then, that was very common. It was very common to lose a child uh, to a flu or to a virus. It was very common to lose a loved one. So happiness back then was was about surviving and i suppose if you got to bed at night and you woke up in the morning you ha- you felt pretty good about life because not a lot of people were able to do that if you were able to live maybe to 40 or 45 even 50 you had a pretty good life i mean uh you look at some of these photos from back then you know those people had a rough life so happiness yes, they- was not about having the new iPhone, you know, or the, <laughs> or whatever. It was a much different <laughs> definition, Frank. 
a very good point, Sylvia. Very good point, and and it's true. Uh, it, it was it was a rough way of life. It took a lot, and uh, when you think about the fact that these people, the people who signed that declaration, and believe me, many of them paid dearly for it with their lives, their property seized, uh, their lives shortened. Um, it, it really hit a lot of people very hard. But when you think That's about right. that, yeah. what little they had, they put on the table and said, we're going to do this, not only for us, but for those who come after us. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, I, I think there's and some, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Frank. I, I am absolutely disgusted today when I hear people whining and crying and looking for something for nothing and, and negating the sacrifices that were made so that they could have the basic freedoms that they and, and enjoy, that we are still the, the shining city on the hill that, uh, yeah. that Reagan described. That's right. That's right. I just wanted to apologize to you, Frank, and the listeners. I, uh, for a minute there, I got disconnected. So I was out for oh. about twenty seconds. And while you were, while you were yeah. doing your last, uh, uh, you were talking in the last few minutes, I actually got disconnected and had to reconnect. So I apologize if there was. I don't think that it impacted you at all because you were talking while that while that happened. But I, in, in case. Uh, you were wondering where I was. Well, I wasn't here. I had to get reconnected. So I apologize uh, for that. But back to the topic, another thing, too, that occurred to me, Frank, again, you and I, I'm using the example of you and I listening to this reading of the Declaration. Um, it was pretty radical what the, what this document was saying, you know, about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's another line and in the Declaration, too, about, you know, when I'm paraphrasing, but basically Jefferson said that there are times when you have to remove a government or separate yourself yeah. from a government, uh, that if you didn't feel the government was serving you or looking out for you. And that is, I wonder, Frank, how many of the people who are listening to that reading that day, and again, now this is obviously speculation, we don't know. But I wonder how many people were sitting there saying, man, this is pretty rough. Uh, we could all end up dead. You know, the king yeah. could get angry at us for listening to that speech, Frank. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the um, uh, we don't have time tonight, but um, I, I do a class for my history students on the Declaration of Independence. And I'll give you the short form. Why was this a world-shaking document? And that was because, Prior to the Enlightenment, the period that in which this was written, <clears throat> the religion was very, very strong throughout throughout Europe, and the belief was in the divine right of kings, and that was the the idea that God has made King George the king. Therefore, if you disobey King George, you are disobeying the will of God, because this is the divine, he has the divine right. In fact, if you look at the the crest today of the Windsor dynasty, if you will, the Windsor family, the motto is Dieu et mon droit, 
It means God and my right. And that was the idea, that the king held all power. To the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They are not endowed by the king. They're endowed by their creator, by God. And God gives it to every human being. Right. Well, so, that... No, that's pretty upset. radical. If you're yes, sitting it there is. in 1776, again, my example of you and me sitting there, uh, listening to this, we're going, oh, wow. This is pretty radical here, what we're hearing. You mean all of us have these rights from the creator, not from the king? I mean, I can just imagine what some of those people were were thinking uh, were thinking back then. But what hurts me is that so many people today are either don't know or it's become fashionable to trash the, the Declaration of Independence as a document that was written by white men. Uh, well, yeah, it was written by white men because, first of all, there were no white women back then who uh, were participating in politics. It was a different time. And obviously, it did not include slaves, slaves or Native Americans. We understand that. Uh, you know, that in retrospect, that might be, you know, that might be wrong. But like you were saying, don't project. I mean, that was the world that they lived in. And what they were saying in this document was pretty radical. And that would eventually apply to the slaves or to black Americans and to the Native Americans who today enjoy those rights that Jefferson wrote, Frank. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And look at what, what that did to the world, to the people in France and the French Revolution. It said, wait a minute. Cast off these kings, cast off the, the authority. Even in Britain, they still have kings. But look what's happened. The authority is, is vested through the parliament and the people and, and through elections. And uh, it, it, was, it was incredibly, incredibly radical and, and incredibly important to the history of the world because it... it it established the bond not between man and the king, between man and God. Right. And it was it, a it, radical it, a radical departure from the, <clears throat> the way things had been. Um, yes. People had people simply said, Hey, uh, uh, you know, I'm on my own here and, and it's me and the creator, not me and King George. Now I wonder, Frank, again, going back to that time. And then we'll take a break and we'll hear your presentation. But I wonder how much of that love of freedom that these men and women had back then, how much of that was the fact that they were living in an open uh, and free continent where they were able to pursue their freedom, their craft, whatever they, they, they did, their farmers, whatever they did. I wonder how much of that love for freedom came from the fact that this was uh, a generation of colonists who actually had lived in a very free, in a very free country, Frank. Yes, 
And but now here's you make a, an excellent point, Silvio. And here's what we have to remember coming down in our history. These people lived very in, in a very insular society, meaning that many of them never traveled more than 25 miles from where they were born. And hence their loyalties were heavily to the state. So it was very difficult for the first, the Continental Congress to get everybody to agree on the Declaration of Independence. The idea that, you know, uh, you, you had, first of all, your um, importance with the state, the fact that uh, it was where you grew up, it was where you lived, it was the people around you, your local community. That's what a lot of people today forget about the Civil War. And that's why a lot of individuals who never owned slaves, never wanted slaves, were willing to enlist and give their lives in the Confederate cause because simply in those days, uh, everything was very insular. We didn't have the road system. It was four days from Boston to Philadelphia and um, in travel, and it was expensive. It was tough. So people stayed around locally, and there was a great amount of, of local loyalty, and hence the declaration was very, very tough to get passed because how do you get all these individuals right. who are um, uh, so so local to think in national terms? Right. Well, I mean, somebody from Massachusetts had probably never seen somebody from South Carolina. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, or, or the other way around. It's funny because today they were running that musical that movie musical that came out almost 50 years ago called 1776. Sure. And it's kind of like funny and, and historic at the same time. But, you know, that, that's one of the things that, 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 that I remember from the musical that, you know, somebody from South Carolina probably had a better chance of meeting somebody from England than somebody from Massachusetts because they were training yeah. within, with, with England. I mean, they're more likely to see a British ship come into their harbor and actually talk to somebody from England or do business than somebody from Massachusetts who was well, so know, far away. And as a colonist, depending on where you came from, uh, you know, many of them from uh, Britain, some from Holland, uh, you were, you know, writing letters back and forth because it took like four months to deliver the letter. Uh, to your relatives in Europe, and, and and you were attached to that, so it was very hard to kind of think right. of. Wait a minute, is is this my country now? Right, right, that's right. Yeah, that's you know, right. The, the I mean, the United States of America was a little strange when all you yeah. knew was North Carolina or South Carolina or Virginia or Pennsylvania. All of a sudden, United States is like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, what do you mean united? <laughs> what do you mean? What's this but about united? All the colonists wanted at first was the rights of Englishmen, which is what they considered themselves. And, you know, uh, to become an American, wow, what wow. What a, you know, an earth-shaking no, I mean, decision incredible. to make. Yeah. No, no, so, it's just absolutely incredible the world that they were living in 
and you know the the differences that they had, and you know it would be there, there's nothing that we can compare it to today. Now maybe maybe 15, like maybe before World War II, uh, you know, a young man from let's say North Dakota had never met a young man from Georgia, and they met in the army. That's possible. Right. But but uh, today, of course, we're everywhere. I mean, Dallas. The Dallas area is about as cosmopolitan as it can get. If you drive to the gas station and you talk to people, the the people who are there either working or they they're passing by. Uh, chances are they were not even born in Texas. They came here from another state, as so many yeah. people as so many people have. Frank, let's take a break, and then when we come back, uh, we will uh, we will hear your your presentation for this year. So let me take a little break. Uh, we're chatting with our friend uh, Frank Burke, talking about life, liberty, and Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas. We're chatting with our friend uh, Frank Burke, businessman, author, great friend of our of our podcast. Uh, Frank, before we go to your presentation, I just wanted to say I've said this before when we've done these shows, but 50 years on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson passed away that same day. Uh, that yeah. is unbelievable. I, I, you know, I've told that story to people, particularly people from other countries, and they say, no, you're making that up. That's not possible. No, it is possible. They actually, it did happen. And I just think that that's more, you know, further confirmation of how important that time was and the great contribution that these men made uh, to the world. So, Frank, you have a presentation, and I'm dying to hear it. So I'm going to give you the microphone. Well, thank you. I hope it's worth it. Um, two different individuals in two different times, and uh, then make the connection between them. Uh, and these, I, I take this from other people who have written it, and, and I'm simply interpreting it. The first is a little bit stilted because it was written many years ago. General J.B. Kershaw, Confederate States of America, of South Carolina, published a deeply interested narr interesting narrative concerning Richard Kirkland, the humane hero of Fredericksburg, a sergeant in the 2nd South Carolina Regiment. After the bloody repulse of the Federals, the Union, at Fredericksburg, Virginia, near the foot of Mary's Hill, they left their many killed and wounded lying between the lines, and the piteous cries of the brave men on account of pain and thirst appealed to the sympathies of the soldiers of both armies. Richard Kirkland went to General Kershaw, who was then in command of the Confederates, of the Confederates. The motion said, 
General, I can't stand this. What is the matter, Sergeant? asked the general. He replied, all day I have heard these poor people crying for water, and I can stand it no longer. I come to ask permission to go and give them water. The general regarded him for a moment with feelings of profound admiration and said, Kirkland, don't you know that you'd get a bullet through your head the moment you stepped over the wall? Yes, he said. I know that I may, but if you will let me, I'm willing to try it. After a pause, the general said, Kirkland, I ought not to allow you to run such a risk, but the sentiment which actuates you is so noble that I will not refuse your request, trusting that God may protect you. You may go. With light heart and buoyant steps, the man, armed with all the canteens he could carry, filled with water, crossed the wall, went unarmed through the shower of bullets which had first greeted him, and reached and relieved the nearest sufferer, pouring down his parched throat the life-giving fluid, putting him in a more comfortable position, and leaving him a canteen filled with water. His purpose now being apparent, the Federals ceased to fire on him, and for an hour and a half, amid the plaudits of both armies, this angel of mercy went on his mission from man to man of the wounded enemy, his comrades gladly filling his canteens for him and being prevented from joining him in his labor of love only by the orders against their crossing the line until all on that part of the field were relieved. It needs only to be added since the bravest are the tenderest and the loving are the daring that Sergeant Kirkland so greatly distinguished himself at Gettysburg that he was promoted for conspicuous gallantry and that he fell on the victorious field of Chickamauga, bravely doing his duty. But he will not be known in the annals of the war as the humane hero of Fredericksburg, or as we call him today, the angel of Fredericksburg. That is Sergeant Richard Kirkland, Confederate States of America. The second piece I want to read has been around for a bit. I may have read it earlier, but it's a um, something that bears repeating. And this comes from another war, the war in Vietnam. You're a 19-year-old kid. You are critically wounded and dying in the jungle somewhere in the central highlands of Vietnam. It's November 14, 1965. LZ, landing zone, X-ray. Your unit is outnumbered eight to one, and the enemy fire is so intense from a 100 yards away that your commanding officer has ordered the medevac helicopters to stop coming in. You're lying there, listening to the enemy machine guns, and you know you're not getting out. Your family is halfway around the world, 12,000 miles away, and you'll never see them again. As the world starts to fade in and out, you know this is the day. Then, over the machine gun noise, you faintly hear the sound of a helicopter. You look up to see a UE coming in, but it doesn't seem real because the medevac markings are not on it. Captain Ed Freeman is coming in for you. He's not medevac, 
So it's not his job. But he heard the radio call, and he decided to flying his UE down into the machine gun fire anyway. Even after the medevacs were ordered not to come, he's coming anyway. And he drops it in and sits there in the machine gun fire as they load three of you at a time on board. Then he flies you up and out through the gunfire to the doctors and nurses and safety, coming back 13 more times until all the wounded were out. No one knew until the mission was over that the captain had been hit four times in his legs and his left arm. He took 29 of you and your buddies out that day. Some would not have made it without the captain and his Huey. Medal of Honor recipient, Captain Ed Freeman, United States Army, died at the age of 81 in Boise, Idaho, August 20, 2008. Now pass wow. this along and honor him. Now, you know, I read the two of those things because... Yes, they're amazing. By the way, by the way, they're both amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. And thank you. So you really had me, particularly with the second one, uh, because I've heard stories like that uh, about Vietnam. Um, I mean, I never served in Vietnam. I was too young. But I've heard stories like that from some of the men who served. And, and it's, it's amazing the brotherhood of these, of these guys, uh, Frank. You know, I, I can't read it without choking up myself. You probably could tell a little bit of that. But the bottom line is, you know, these men are both part of our history. And when I see people tearing down the monuments to some of the Confederates, were they on the right side or the wrong side? They were on the wrong side, as we understand it. But there was bravery there. There were men there who had the American virtues. Robert E. Lee had them. Bravery, compassion. Sergeant Kirkland was a tremendously compassionate man. He risked his life, the lives of Union soldiers, to, to give them a, a little bit of comfort, and, and maybe in, for some of them those last moments. And, and, you know, uh, Ed Freeman, Captain Ed Freeman, my God, how much courage could you ask a man to have? And when I hear people denigrating the armed services, tearing apart our history, I'll be honest, I have to confess this, I get furious. Well, <laughs> you and me, Frank, because I get, I get furious for a different reason. Uh, well, but for the same reason, I guess, but I have a different reason as well, maybe an additional reason, because I understand what freedom is. A lot of these clowns don't. Uh, you know, a lot of these people who trash the country, like that woman basketball player who was trashing the country, I guess she was trashing the country because of the Supreme Court opinions that she didn't like. You know, let me just say something, Frank. When the Supreme Court wrote the opinion on same-sex marriage, that I did not support, I didn't trash the United States or the court front. That's right. Who would? Who? What fair-minded, intelligent person would when they, they saw what this country has given? The basketball player, what does she make in a year as a professional basketball player, and where else is she going to make that? But that's not the point. 
The point is she's a free woman. She can speak, she can spew out her nonsense and nobody's going to take her to jail. Well, but that's it, exactly it, right. And, 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 they, and they do it. And, and I think it's a combination of, of my, my sense with not only this woman, but the football player who was taking a knee and all of that. I think it's a combination oh. of, of arrogance, uh, ignorance, and they want publicity, Frank. They know you can get publicity. I mean, you can become a hero by trashing the country, which is very upsetting to me. But you can't yeah. these days. And that's, you know, I get angry when that happens because um, it, it just makes me angry to think that somebody would, would trash the country. Like I said, I didn't trash the country when the Supreme Court uh, basically saved Obamacare, when the Supreme Court gave us same-sex marriage. I criticized the court, you know, within the boundaries of a citizen. I uh, said, well, we got to, you know, change the members of the court. We have to maybe elect different people, but I never trashed the country. I never said what a piece of trash the country is because a Supreme Court justice named Kennedy gave us same-sex marriage, Frank. Yeah, and that's because you and your parents came here and understood what this country is about and that we're not always right. Some of the things that are done, some of the decisions of the Supreme Court are not right and ultimately would have to be turned around, as, as were things like uh, separate but equal. But they were turned around. And that's the point. The point is that we are a country that corrects its mistakes. We don't live by them. Right. No, exactly. And, and you know, the Roe v. Wade, the, the, the opinion was eventually overturned because we invested our energies in, in, in electing the right people who would eventually nominate it to the court to, to write the opinion. But I never said, you know, gee, what a trashy country because of Roe v. Wade. No, I never said that. I said, what an opinion, the opinion is wrong and it needs to be overturned. But that's a criticism within, you know, within the parameters of being a citizen. That's not, you know, what this basketball player or the football player um, were doing. Well, Frank, we're just about out of time. We wanted to give you a, a chance to say anything else. Uh, I didn't want to cut you off. I know you were, you were about to say something. So any last thoughts before we have to go? Yes. Um, happy Fourth of July. And remember all of those through all the years of our country, ever since it was founded, and, and before, even long before 1776, all of those who made it possible for us and the people of this generation to enjoy the things that we do and uh, strive to maintain our values dear to us and everything that those people fought and died for. Absolutely. Let me second that by saying that I agree 1,000% with you. And uh, let's say thanks to all of those who came before us, the, the men and women who, who gave us what we now have. And let's be grateful that, that a group of men got together in Philadelphia in 1776 and wrote that document because um, I only wonder what the world would have been like if they had never written that document. Uh, I mean, I guess there would have been a, there would have been a world 
but it wouldn't be as great a world as the one that we got to enjoy because of that document, Frank. That's very true. That's very true. I think yeah. we saved the world a lot of blood by doing it ourselves. And we always right. have. Right. And all the people that we've liberated. And uh, it's just an amazing country, an amazing story. And, uh, you know, if you, if you think that the country is trash, well, then maybe get out. Go somewhere else where you don't think it's trash. But I have a funny feeling that the people who say those things come back real quickly because they're going to find <laughs> out that this is the best place. I remember all those people who were going to leave the country if George W. Bush was reelected. Remember that? Uh, oh, there were all kinds of people saying, we're going to leave if George W. Bush is reelected. I don't I think, think they Bob, left, Frank. No, I think Barbara Streisand has threatened to leave any number of times, but she's still That's in right. the man- Malibu, yeah. <laughs> no, she's still living in, in her mansion. And, and listen, congratulations that she can have a mansion. But maybe right. she'll appreciate the fact that she has a mansion because she's an American. And she lives uh, in, in this country. <laughs> well, Frank, thank you so much as always. I always love doing this with you. And uh, we'll try it again next year. I, I really love doing these uh, conversations with you on special holidays, Frank. Well, well, so do I, and uh, thank you very much, Silvio. Uh, God bless you and your family, all our audience, and God bless the United States of America. Absolutely, and the same to you and your family, uh, Frank. And uh, we're going to wrap it up. I tell you, it it always touches me so much when Frank uh, shares these thoughts with us. It's just amazing. But happy July the 4th. Enjoy it. Happy number 247. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're still growing that. We're still enjoying that. And I, for one, I love the liberty part. That's the part I really like. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.